This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Hey, um, my name's Darren, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I am uh, excited that you're here. One of the reasons that these Bibles are so like $10 each is the people that are hired to smuggle them in are the actual, the same people that smuggle illicit things. So use your imagination. Um, but in Iran specifically, the Bible is more dangerous to smuggle in than these other items. I know there are children in the room. So, um, but the point is, is we have to pay more for that it's, by the way, the same skill set, but it's just more dangerous. If they get caught getting those into Iran, their lives are in far greater danger than they are. So let that set in of how much Satan hates the Bible. In our own country, it's under attack culturally. It's under attack politically. And it's no different than most countries around the world. They're just a little more open about it in that country. So the next time you look at your Bible on yourself, remember that there are people in places like Iran this week are going to be getting Bibles, maybe for the first time in their lives, and they're going to sob tears of joy for something that's gathering dust on some of our shelves. So put that in. I don't mean that to throw any guilt or shame, but just know that there's a purpose in what we're doing, and I'm excited that we get to be even just a little bit of a part of that. So if you do have your Bibles, would you open to the book of First Peter chapter 2? You know, watching that video, um, it, it's, it's actually fascinating because you're seeing, some of y'all are newer, but you know, for some of us, that's like history for us. You know, we started this church in a Independence High School, just one exit over. Um, we weren't even supposed to get in that school because 10, 12 years ago, everybody knew and the principal is not there any longer, but the principal did not let churches meet in schools. Every church planter in town knew that. And we were, uh, January of 2010, had no idea where we were going to meet and I should have been more worried than I was, but I, for whatever reason, I was not. And uh, I went ahead and just sent an email to the principal at the time. And uh, Jim and Donna remember this. Uh, and he sent me a very lovely, thank you, but no thank you. We don't let churches meet in the school. Now, fast forward a few weeks later, um, the, the earthquake in Haiti has happened. And we are, I mean, aggressively helping our brothers and sisters in Haiti. And so I found myself at dinner at a little Mexican restaurant in Franklin with, and I know this is going to sound like I'm name dropping, and I guess I kind of am, but I just, it's important to A, show how good God is, and B, how dumb I am. I'm sitting at dinner with Jay and Pam Seculo, who are helping us get things into Haiti, food and stuff. And, and Jay, just in passing, says, Hey, where are we going to be meeting? Where's, you know, where are we going to be at? And I, I was like, well, you know, I really want Independence High School, but they don't let churches meet in there. So, and he stopped me mid-sentence. And for those of you that don't know, Jay is the one that won the Supreme Court case in 1990 that allows churches to meet in schools. This is the part where I say how dumb I am. It didn't occur to me. He's like, oh, what did you say? 
And then it hit me, and I'm like, oh, no, 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 I don't want to get on the news. I don't want any of that. I'm not, I'm just, <laughs> I don't. He said, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking at all. I'm, you just can't let a principal decide what constitutional law they will and will not follow. They don't get to do that. So all we're going to do is, is send a letter. And uh, so he did, a, f- a few of them, if I remember right, uh, quoting his own cases that he had won in front of the Supreme Court. And we moved in five weeks later to Independence High School, which is where we were born in 2010. And that first Sunday morning, I remember uh, Jay was standing in the back with his Blackberry. Um, he, I don't know if he has an iPhone yet, but he was Blackberry taking a photo and sending it to the pastor in New York of Lamb's Chapel, which was the pastor in New York that was the first case that was brought before the Supreme Court, saying, hey, look, 20, however many, 30 years later, 20 years at that point, this is still paying off the work that we did all those years ago. So God has been in the details of this church long before I ever realized he was. And the story of conduit, the story of of a a Jesus person is walking with the Lord, following him, knowing that goodness and mercy are following you, and that if you are following what he has called and asked you to do, he's taking care of all of the stuff that you can't take care of. And when I'm reading 1 Peter 2, the idea of what a church could be, we've spent the last two weeks, three weeks now, I guess, talking about the idea of what, it, what a church is. And in that first week, we were saying that, like, the church didn't need a mission. Like, conduit doesn't need a mission statement. It's that Jesus gave us a mission that actually needed a church. So that's what a church is supposed to be. We're just here as the vehicle to fulfill the, the calling of God, the mission of Jesus. And then the second week, we were in, in Matthew 16 and said that, man, he didn't build a fortress that we had to defend. He actually gave us a force to be deployed, Completely the opposite of what many of us have grown up thinking, that we would come here and defend our fortress. All this thing is, is a troop carrier that deploys troops under the front lines of the kingdom of God, here in our own backyard and around the world. A few years later, it was 2014. And in 2014, you could only have five years in a church in a high school in Williamson County. They call it the Fellowship Bible Church Rule because they were in for like 12 years, I think is what it was. So they, like, and God bless those guys. We love them. Um, but now it was five years. So 2014, we got to be out of that school. And I want you to know that we had exactly zero options. Uh, the, the plans that we could have done was to, we just maybe, I don't know, maybe 180 or 200 of us at that time. Um, Jim was leading the kids and, and youth, I think, by that point, or almost leading the youth. And I mean, we were literally on a shoestring everything. And what I knew I didn't want to do, what I knew the Lord didn't want us to do, maybe be a better way of putting it, was to go rent out a retail space and spend 12000 a month, spend a half a million dollars renovating it, none of it of which we would own, but more importantly, none of it that we could afford. And what I mean by afford was Technically, we could have stretched ourselves to afford it, and we would have had to have put pause on the purpose and the mission of the church. I, mean, I can't even imagine making that phone call to you know, some of my friends in Haiti saying, hey, could you postpone your crisis for about 12 years while we figure out how to get this paid off, and then we'll get back to you? It just wasn't an option. The purpose, right, was giving us our plan. And so... 
uh, maybe February, January of that year, we know we just, we're the, the clock is ticking. It's like we're getting ready to take off, but you're running out of runway. You know, like have you ever been on one of those scary flights? Um, in fact, there's an airport in Nepal, Lukla Airport. It's the shortest runway in the entire world. Don't Google it. Um, and it is, they, they literally will put these little planes up against the back of this wall and the guy floors it. I, mean, I don't know if you're flooring it, whatever you're doing. Anyway, he's, so my pilot friends are like, Thank you, there's no pedal. Um, but it's like, like you, I mean, it is gunning and it is like a literal sprint to the edge. And I swear that when you get to the edge, your plane goes, and then if you're lucky, it goes back up again. That's why you don't Google it, because not everyone has been so lucky. So I felt like that's what we were doing at this high school. We were gunning it towards the end, and we were headed towards the Red Sea, right? And we were either going to go swimming, or it was going to split, but I did not have a plan B. And we shared that with our church family. We prayed and thought, God, look, if if in a year from now, if, if your plan was that we just say this has been a good ride, and God is good, and we can move our separate ways... By that point, our church had already given away $1.5 million. There were churches in West Africa and East Africa and Haiti. And I thought, you know what? If I fail, I'm okay to fail like that. And so we prayed. And we had a couple of ideas. One of the ideas, by the way, was that we would just change the name, start a new nonprofit, and then reapply as a a new church. (laughs) Which, when I first floated that by our lawyer, he's like, that is the dumbest thing I have ever heard. But... Then like a, about two weeks later, he's like, you know, I've been thinking about that. That's actually not a bad idea. <laughs> but you know, the Bible speaks about above what you could think or ask. And I didn't think or ask that God would give us a building. And around that time, we got a, a phone call, and this is a super oversimplification, but this little building up front here was 13,000 square feet. Uh, it was one exit over, which meant that our Murfreesboro and our Franklin and our Spring, they, none of them would have to go like, uh, you know, any further than they were going before. They had 14 voting members left in Hillview Baptist Church. And I don't know why Mike Glenn and Brentwood Baptist didn't sn- like snatch it up and put it a part of their thing that they were doing. So we were like trying to move real quick before he realized that it was up for grabs. And we had this meeting and uh, we were not like them and they were not like us. These 14 voting members, they listened to a lot of Southern gospel. Uh, country folk. Now look, I, I live in College Grove, so technically those are my people. But they were feeling a little overwhelmed. But somehow God moved on the hearts of these 14 voting members and said, if you guys will just pay the $154,000 that we owe on this building, it was valued at around $1.5 million, that if you guys would just pay that, right, you get, we can move in and merge into this thing. And Now, the problem was I didn't have $154,000, right? So I was getting ready. In fact, I did this on a Sunday morning, and I was, doing the, I was making a case for why a $154,000 mortgage for a church our size was a no-brainer. And, you know, I, I, I knew that uh, at the time, there might be some of my friends from Dave Ramsey's organization that might send me the email, you can't borrow your way into bigger blessings and you know, those things that you... And, uh, <laughs> and by the way, one of them did. Um, and that very morning when I shared that, part of our church family 
he came down the front. I haven't asked him, so I won't say his name. I said, Darren, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you ask me? Like, and basically two days later, they wrote a check for $154,000. And so, you know, Tony was there, I was there, Jeremy Heslop. And it turns out, by the way, when you, put, when you pay cash for a property, I don't know if you know this or not, it's like two signatures or something. It was like, I'd never done that before, so I was like waiting for the rest of the stuff, and they come back and bring us the keys. I'm like, that's it? That's all it takes is two signatures? We moved in in 2015 into that building up front, 100% debt-free, because God allowed us, if you have your purpose, which our, we knew our purpose, we weren't going to spend beyond our purpose, God... I felt it the whole, the whole time for our church that's happened over and over again, that when we're focused on the purpose that he's given us to do, that he'll take care of everything else. And sometimes when you look at something like this on paper, and I came out of the business world, I'm looking at this on paper going, none of this works. Literally none of this works. Except that there was an extra spot in the Excel spreadsheet left blank, which was God. <laughs> And God moved it to zero, and God has continued to provide for us. And I say that because I want you to hear me say that we are a church with a purpose. And when you are a church that is purposeful, by the way, the Washington Post actually wrote a story about that, about us all those years ago, uh, about how God was doing amazing things in bringing older churches and newer churches together. But what I want you to hear from us in the few minutes that we have is that if you know your purpose, if you're on purpose, right, you will be on, going to church on purpose, you are on purpose. Like doing something on purpose means that I'm purposeful in this. And the thing that has guided us, the courage of our convictions, has caused us to make decisions that didn't make a lot of sense unless you understood that God could move and that it would keep us focused on our purpose. You see, we could have gotten a retail space, and when churches do that, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing sinful about that. But the purpose that he called us to do, this church, I couldn't do that. And as a matter of fact, when we moved in to build this building right here, of course, we wanted it to be 100% debt-free, but what we wanted more than anything was that we could afford this in a way that it wouldn't make a dent in the purpose that he had given us. And we said as elders, like, look, if, it, if the minute that we are losing any sort of momentum on the global mission, asking people to put their you know, paws on their crisis, we will turn the bulldozers off and send them home. And God, again, miraculously provided in a way that the, the mortgage we have right now, you guys have been crushing it. We've been doubling it. We've been tripling it. We are attacking this like, a, like the Hatfields and the McCoys. Man, we are tearing it down, man, going after it because it is our enemy. But even with that, the global mission impact never decreased, only increased. And we are in a place right now where a whole lot of stuff could go wrong and we still would have, be able to fulfill the purpose that he's given us. So I want you to hear me say that because if you're new around here, you're gonna at some point think, well, why don't we just do this or why don't we just do that? And the answer is, is that we have a very specific purpose that he's called us to do. And by the way, this room feels nice, right? And it's wonderful and it's comfortable. And we saved hundreds of thousands of dollars because it's basically a skating rink with chairs in it. <laughs> I mean, literally, you could pull this out of here and we could do a rodeo in here with Wayne and Pat Dunn. Like the next, like, that's an option. 
But we've created something comfortable, but at the same time, something that does not distract from the purpose that he's given us for this. And that purpose, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Now, some of your footnotes say temple of the Holy Spirit. It's God's house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Our purpose is being built into the house of God. Not this, I understand when someone says, Come into the house of the Lord. They will read sometimes from the book of Psalms. I'm so, I was excited when they said to me, go into the house of the Lord. In that day, that was a building, the, the house of the Lord, and that's where the Spirit of God dwelled. No matter where you lived, if you wanted to experience what was referred to as Shekinah glory, you went into that house to experience it. That's gone. The only thing this does is keep us from getting wet it keeps us air-conditioned, it keeps us remotely comfortable as the house of God. You and I are the living stones created as the house of God. And the purpose, quite simply, for a church, I would say our church, I would actually say any church, but for our church, I know, is literally all of us being transformed, our hearts and our minds, to see that in this house, this house of God, that you belong, that you matter in the mission of Jesus. There are no bench warmers in the kingdom of God. We all have a place. We all have a purpose. It's beautiful what he has created. In the days of the old covenant, the the priest, and he says here, you're a royal priesthood. You had to go to the priest and the priest would talk to God on your behalf. Those days are gone. You and I are a kingdom of priests. We're no longer sending in somebody to talk to God on my behalf. You do not need to send me in to talk to God on your behalf. You can talk to God on your behalf. I love what my friend Alex Matala says. Uh, Holly, remember this? Like you're in, in Africa, Uganda, he'll say, you know, the Bible says to lay hands on the sick and they will recover. It's very bad, Uganda, but anyway. <laughs> Do you have two hands? Then you are qualified. Do you believe? You are qualified. That's it. And he's going, but what if God doesn't heal them? That is none of your business. <laughs> that is not your concern. You fill your role and you let God fill his role. We are all a kingdom of, of priests. And when I think through what that looks like for us, I'm gonna just machine gun through this. But I encourage you to ponder in your own heart what the Lord might say to you about what it looks like. Where's my place in the priesthood of this thing called conduit, of this place called Middle Tennessee? Where is my place in it? Because in the kingdom of God, the idea that you're a living stone, number one, means that you're not alone. Like you might feel alone. The thing that our society has done to us is created these amazing homes. Even the smallest homes in America still have doors and windows and walls that block us off from the people next door to us. Uh, Fouad called it the trap. 
the garage door is like a trap. <laughs> it goes down on you and you're trapped. You drive home and you go into your garage and you are in this beautiful place of Middle Tennessee and you can feel so alone because it's not how God wired us to be. And one of his solutions for this was that we, you and I, not alone because we are now living stones creating the house of God. Not in the house of God, we are the house of God. Living stones together, not living stones separately from each other. And he says that in, in verse 4 of 1 Peter 2, that you, he's building a house for God here on earth. He says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God, precious to him. So we've come to Jesus, right? And uh, Isaiah, he calls him the, the, the cornerstone. The cornerstone is what everything else is built on. And it says in verse five, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering living sacrifices like Romans 12, spiritual sacrifices here acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Those Stones, we are those stones. And when Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, 40, he was talking about um, to the Pharisees and said, if you guys don't worship me, even the stones will cry out. You and I are those living stones that he was speaking of and prophesying. We're the ones crying out that he said, if you guys are silent, you Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders, if you're silent, even the stones will cry out. And he has created you and I, not dead stones, but living stones in his, because a dead stone can't cry out, but a living stone can, right? One of the things that I think is a, a distinctive of conduit, and I, and I think every church would say this on some level, but I, I, when I say this, I want you to know that this is, we mean this when we say this, that everyone has a role to play. Like, you've got a purpose to fulfill. You're not coming into the house of God. We are the house of God. Like, that's very distinctive of what conduit is, that in this room are a room full of ministries that all have a role to play. You don't have to start a dot, like a dot org. You don't have to have a nonprofit. You don't have to start an organization. You're just a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us. And you do not need my permission for that. One of the things that happened in our journey of this was that, uh, one of the voting members that voted, so there were 14 voting members at Hillview Baptist Church, okay? There was a vote, and because every Baptist vote has to have at least one no vote, um, there was a, a vehement no vote from Miss Bobby Wright. Bobby, at the time, I think was in 79 or 80, and Miss Bobby, she told me that, you know why I voted no? Because God told me to. I think it was to keep you humble. And of those 14 members, the one that's, that stayed with, now keeping in mind, if we were this, this church and you showed up next week and there was a Southern Gospel band on stage, this was a huge culture shock for what happened. But Miss Bobby stayed around. And what happened in the middle of that with Miss Bobby was a kingdom of priests, of conduits, meeting with Miss Bobby, who was pretty lonely, Husband had been dead for years. She was still running his construction business. Realized that she had not been on a vacation in 67 years. And so Sue Moore 
Carrie Stewart, my wife, and maybe someone else I don't remember, said, you know what? We're going to take her to the beach. She lives in Tennessee, and somehow Miss Bobby had never been to the beach. You understand how crazy that is in Williamson County? That's everybody goes to the beach. That's all we do. Go to the beach. She had never been to the beach. So she took her very first vacation because a bunch of priests said, we're going we're gonna to serve you. That following Sunday when she got back, have you seen those white t-shirts that go down to your waist, but it's like a, page, a picture of like you're in a bikini or your beach body? Or... You think I'm making this up, but she showed up to the front door that day to greet people with one of those t-shirts on and a bikini. And I wish I had a photo of it because it was glorious. <laughs> And in the middle of all that, Miss Bobby, in our church family, found a place among a people of mercy. There was a moment where someone from our fellowship spoke of this ministry of, of have had abortion and, what, and the forgiveness and the grace of God. And by the way, what better time than right now for women to know and for men that were involved too to know that you have a, a, the forgiveness and the grace of God. And I mean, even in this room right now, if statistics are accurate, about 25 to 30% of the women here, you guys have had an abortion and God's mercy and grace is not a single drop of blood wasted at the cross. Forgiveness for you? Miss Bobby was one of those. When she was 15 or 16 years old, I might be remembering the story a little bit wrong. Her, she was married and in Detroit, and her husband at the time dropped her off at an illegal clinic in Detroit, picked her up a couple hours later, and they never spoke of it again. She carried that shame for decades. But because a kingdom of priests a people of mercy encountered Miss Bobby for the first time since she was 15 years old, told somebody what had happened. And she experienced the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. She told me soon she passed away just a couple of years ago at 83 years old, but she told me, Darren, I think that God, for some reason, let me live this long just so I could understand and experience what God's grace really is in my life. She stepped into eternity not having to learn about grace. She already knew because she had experienced it here. A kingdom of priests. Nobody gave Sue permission to do this. She didn't need permission. Not a kingdom of priests. Not if God moves it on your heart to love somebody like that. You don't have to get permission for that. Because the kingdom of God, we're a kingdom of priests. That's why you'll get around us, you're going to find out we don't have a whole lot of programs here. We're just not program people. What we are, what I really want to be known as, and I think we are, is we're a people of, of mercy. You see, he talks about this stone, this living stone, this cornerstone in verse 6. In Scripture, it says, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen, precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. 
the feeling of shame that Miss Bobby had experienced. Trusting in him, the shame is washed away, and so is it for you and for I. Now, to you who believe, that stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become a cornerstone. And that stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall, they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. The stone of Jesus, which was meant for us to build our lives on. Jesus would speak about that in the book of Matthew and talks about falling on it or having it fall on you. And the thing about... In a, in a Jesus church, when we understand the grace of God. I mean, we're in a world right now that everybody's trying to figure out what the foundation is that we're living on. And much of the war and the battle in the West right now is that the West has rejected this as our foundation and now are trying to build other foundations. And the problem with that is now there's a war for which foundation wins. And so what Jesus is speaking of is while you're out there snooping around trying to find another foundation, you're going to trip on the only foundation and be broken into pieces. Those who fall on him will be broken. And there are those, so that's like maybe the secular humanist progressives, you're out there looking for the other foundation that might be it. But then there's the other, which is probably more common in Williamson County, which is we're the ones trying to maintain this stone ourselves. We're not trying to build our lives on the foundation of God's goodness and grace, but on the foundations of my abilities and what I have accomplished. And Jesus said that for those of you that that stone falls on you, it will crush you because we can't bear the weight of that goodness and that perfection in our own lives. So if we're trying to maintain our lives holding up that, we're gonna be crushed by it. If we try to walk away from it and find something else, we're gonna trip over it because it is the only way, a people of mercy. And I would say, uh, let's, let's just keep going. I got four minutes, we'll do what we can do. Because I want you to see that you not only like are being transformed, but you belong in the body of Christ. And there's this idea here that I want you to see that he says in verse 10, that once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, what's happened in our culture right now, those that are tripping over the rock and being broken into pieces by falling on the rock of his grace, it's because we're trying to, in a world right now, it used to be called identity politics, right? Now there's some versions that are called critical theory. There are versions that are basically saying we are now putting people into groups of identities, and by this identity is how you're going to be known, and you have to associate with everything that this identity has given you. And the Bible is telling us that the only identity that we can, that could sustain this is why you're not going to be crushed by this rock or you're going to break yourself on it, is the only one is the people of mercy. Because every other identity puts you in a position where someone is being oppressed and someone is the oppressor. There was a school in New York called Grace High School. I don't know if you've heard of what's happened there in the last couple of years. But Buying into, again, trying to find another stone to build our lives on, another foundation, it's the idea of identities. And there was a, a teacher there that was 
finally saying, look, what you're trying to get us to do with our students is actually not bringing equality, it's actually bringing division. We're not allowed to speak freely what we're thinking, because if it doesn't fit with the narrative, then we can't. Now again, this is the foundation that they're trying to build it on, which is the idea of identity. And when I say critical race theory, some people mean something completely different when they say that, but I'm speaking of the definition of a critical theory, which was a Marxist ideology that was about the oppressed and the oppressor. And so by just inserting race in the middle of it, now you've got critical race theory. This does not discount, what I'm about to say does not discount that there is not racism in America, that there are not tribal issues in America. What I am saying is that the solution is not to divide us into identities. And this teacher who was fired a year later wrote this letter, an open letter, uh, and I'm just going to read this one paragraph. My school, like so many others, induces students via shame and sophistry to identify primarily with their race before their individual identities are fully formed. Students are pressured to conform their opinions to those broadly associated with their race and gender, to minimize or dismiss individual experiences that don't match those assumptions. The morally compromised status of oppressor is assigned to one group of students based on their immutable characteristics, and in the meantime, Dependency, resentment, and moral superiority are cultivated in students considered to be oppressed. All of this is done in the name of equity, but it is the opposite of fair. In reality, all of this reinforces the worst impulses we have as human beings, our tendency towards tribalism and sectarianism that a truly liberal education is meant to transcend. This piece that he wrote is, is it's incredibly thoughtful and incredibly well thought out. And I don't know if this man is a believer or not, but I would like to finish his thesis by saying we can choose one identity, and that is the identity that the Bible gives us right here, which is as a people of mercy. Because I have received mercy. It allows me to now give, to give you mercy. If I put myself in the position of, of, of the victim, then I'm crying out, well, like Abel's blood, it cries out for revenge. But the blood of Jesus, Hebrews 12, 24, cries out for better things. It cries out for mercy and for forgiveness and for grace. And so wherever you come down on, on issues in these politics worlds, they get divided into ever finer wafers. And what the Bible is telling us and what I want you to know that for a church family that I hope you and I here in this room, we are known as a people of mercy. And this swings both ways. You can become known as your identity is a, a, a far right, my identity is an anti-vaxxer, my identity is pro-vaxxer. Forget all the identities except the identity of the people of mercy because it's the only one that can sustain in a divided culture and in a divided time because it's somebody at some point has to say, have mercy on me, O God, and I will have mercy on you, those around me as well. It's the only way forward. The purpose of us as a church is a people that belong, a people that matter, and a people that are merciful to each other first. And in a church like this, brand new people, you guys are going to be bumping into each other's ideas and philosophies in small groups and in the hallway. And can I ask you, can I implore you, have mercy on each other. Have mercy because Christ has had mercy on you. 
And he goes on to say, and, and this, we'll just go ahead and land it with this. He actually goes on to say that, you know, not only do you belong, but you matter because you get into the situation now where you are going to let your good works, right, glorify God. You're going to let your good works silence the talk of foolish men that in that day when God reveals himself that they will glorify me. Of everything else that we do, that we get wrong, that we try and we, we, we're trying this and missing that, the idea that we can be conduits of Jesus. Every slave family on that wall has received the grace of God. They don't even know us. Chris, every well that you guys dig over there, every child that you're teaching in Kenya is, a, is literally a conduit of glory of God to those people. JT, every orphan that is adopted, every widow's home that is taken care of, it is a conduit of his goodness. And I'm telling you, I've been doing this for 12 years now, and I used to think that if I had just the, if I just crafted the argument a little bit better, if I was just a little more articulate, that I could maybe convince somebody to move their position from something that is counter Christ to Jesus. And I'm telling you, 12 years later, I, I, I maybe, maybe I'm just not that good of a preacher. But you know what has silenced the talk of foolish men? When we reopened in June of 2020, we had a lot of commentary, shall we say. A lot of emails. And one of my only responses is, which family do you want not to go free this week? You tell me. Which, which family do we leave in slavery because we can't meet next week? It was a time where we weren't saving lives, we were just exchanging lives. We were saying that the lives here were more important than the lives there, and I refused to take that challenge. Refused to take that. I loved it. I mean, Kay just got back from Haiti. By the way, that's crazy. In the best possible Jesus way. The best apologetic from Jesus people is not whether Kay can craft a really well-crafted response, but that she didn't stop going to Haiti during the pandemic restrictions, during the, the gang wars, during the, like they literally just burned a plane on a runway three weeks ago. But there's something that happened in Kay that's different, and there's something that, is, that motivates Kay to do something that is not motivating a lot of people outside of the body of Christ, but something in her is different, and that is the apologetic. The Spirit of God moving. The Spirit of God changing lives from the inside out. The Spirit of God transforming us, physically healing us, emotionally healing us, infusing us with courage to do what no one else will do. That is what will silence the talk of foolish men. He says they're still going to accuse you of wrong, by the way. They'll still accuse you of wrong. But at some point on the day that Jesus reveals, when God is revealed, they're going to look and say, okay, I'm glorifying God because I saw something there that was different. When I think of what a purpose of our church could be, what it is, our purpose, how we're doing this is you're listening to the Holy Spirit and you're going to follow Jesus, whether it's to Haiti, whether it's to a classroom. I mean, I say this often, but it just bears repeating me. Donna is an anatomy teacher, right? Biology, science teacher in a public high school in a culture right now that is anti-science, and she has been a light in that school to young brothers and sisters, young men and women who are increasingly alone and isolated. If you're a public school teacher, parents, I don't blame you at all if you're taking your children out of the public schools right now. It's, dif it's different than it was 
even 10 years ago. But you teachers that are still there, that you are still investing your lives in this, I have nothing but respect and appreciation and gratitude because you are a missionary right here in our own hometown. You're being sent into the front line. So public educators, public counselors in these schools, we need not less of you, but more of you. Across the board, uh, stand to your feet. Sorry, I'm getting that. This is the, the parking lot. <laughs> By the way, if you want to make, get a good deal on a pickup from like a used car lot, like right out here on the side, it looks like a used car lot, doesn't it? Like with trucks from Lewisburg. Anyway, Heavenly Father, <laughs> I pray that your spirit would, would, would just fall on us today, that we would be filled with your spirit to become the living stones, not the burned stones, the resurrected stones, not the dead stones. Lord, would you just awaken us, all of us, every one of us, to be the kingdom of priests that you have called us to be. Lord, baptize us in your Holy Spirit with fire, with courage, with power to speak the truth. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Guys, thank you for uh, being patient. I love you. God bless you. We'll see you next week.